We're going to walk through this series over the course of the next three weeks, and we're going to look at the original stable family. We're going to look at Joseph this week, next week Mary, the mother of God, and then three, uh, two weeks from now we'll look at Jesus, the son of God. Um, well, we want to start out with Joseph, and I found this, this story, if you've ever been a part of a uh, children's Christmas pageant, plenty of unintentional comedy there, found this story, it says a Sunday school was putting on a Christmas pageant, which included the story of Mary and Joseph coming to the inn. One boy wanted very much to be Joseph, but when the parts were handed out, the part was given, the part was given to a boy he didn't like. He was assigned to be the innkeeper instead, short straw. He was pretty upset about this, but he didn't say anything to this director. During all the rehearsals, he thought what he might do the night of the performance to get even with his rival who got to be Joseph instead of him. Finally, it was the night of the performance. And here came Mary and Joseph walking across the stage. They knocked on the door of the inn, and the innkeeper opened the door and asked them gruffly what they wanted. Joseph answered, we'd like to have a room for the night. Suddenly, the innkeeper threw the door wide open and said, great, come on in, and I'll give you the best room in the house. For a few seconds, poor little Joseph didn't know what to do. But thinking quickly on his feet, he looked inside the door past the innkeeper and then said, no wife of mine is going to stay in a dump like this. Come on, Mary, let's go to the barn. <laughs> Mic drop. You know, and rightly so, Jesus usually is front and center when we talk about the Christmas story. And we talk about Mary a lot as well, and even the shepherds and the wise men. But Joseph, Joseph kind of gets left out in the cold, right? We don't often think about Joseph. In fact, interestingly enough, you go through the Gospels, all four Gospels, Joseph doesn't have a single line. He never speaks a word. The only thing we know about Joseph is what we've seen from him in his actions. And yet he plays this enormous role, this vital role in this Christmas story. So, Think with me for a second. If you and your spouse are filling out your will, okay, you're thinking through what would happen, especially if, if both of us were to pass away, who would we leave our kids to? Have you ever thought about that? you ever contemplated that? Like, like what kind of criteria would you set up? Who, who would it be that you would find fit to raise your children for you? And you might think, well, I want someone who loves my kids, you know, first and foremost. I want someone who can provide for them financially, who can support them emotionally. Maybe it would be ideal if it's somebody who already knows them, a, a friend you already have, um, somebody that has experience with kids. They've walked that road before. Do you ever think about God had to go through that process as he's thinking about who do I want to raise my son, my one and only son? Who do I want to raise... God. And, and, and who did he pick, and, and why did he pick them? Why did he make the choice that he made? You think about Joseph for a second. Scripture doesn't tell us much about him. We do know that he's most likely a teenager at the time, as most people who were being married in that culture, in the Hebrew culture at that time, were teenagers. Mary could have been as young as 12, okay? My niece, Sunny, is 12. That's terrifying, okay? I, I, most of us wouldn't trust our teenagers with our car keys, let alone the creator of the universe. And so here you have Joseph, a teenager. He's not a rabbi. He's not a priest. He has no influence in town. He's not rich. He's never been a parent before. He's broke, and he's from Nazareth, which Nazareth was seen as this kind of backwoods, you know, out of the way, sort of, you know, despised town. I compare it to modern-day Nikiski, okay? That's kind of the equivalent. Sorry, low-hanging fruit. I know. That's, I'm sorry. 
So here you have this pimple-faced Jew raising the Son of God. Why in the world would God choose him? Now, now we can't speak for God. We don't. That's above my pay grade. But we have some fascinating clues in Matthew chapter 1 as to potentially why he chose this man, Joseph. So as we look this morning, three things we want to look at. We want to see Joseph's dilemma. He has a very hard situation that he's about to have to face, some decisions he's going to have to make. Number two, there's a dream that's about to make that decision even more complicated. And then finally, what is the decision that Joseph makes? And I think in this, we might see why God chose this kind of man to be the father of his son. So, Joseph's dilemma. <clears throat> verse 18, Matthew chapter, or Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 18. If you haven't been here with us before, the verses will be on the screen. You're welcome to follow along in, in your uh, translation. This is the ESV. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary <clears throat> had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, a couple of things. If we're going to understand what's going on here, we need to know the context, what it was like for a Hebrew to get married in that day, according to the Old Testament law. Very different from what we go through uh, today. Marriages were often arranged by the parents, okay? Maybe that's my problem. Maybe we just need to go back to to that. Um, Contracts were negotiated, okay? They go, okay, I'll give you my daughter but I'm going to need something in return. So I'll take two dozen sheep, you throw in a donkey, we'll call it good, okay? Some of you dads are like, wait, they got stuff for their daughters? Like, I, you know how much I had to pay for my daughter's wedding? Um, but you think about this time, one thing I just wanted to, uh, to bring out here, in a prearranged marriage culture, more than what we see today, love is a choice. Love is an issue of, of the will. And Hollywood, the romantic comedies, they want to tell us that it's all about finding the one and looking across the room and this doughy thing happens in your brain and all of a sudden you found her, you found him, you fall in love. Love ultimately, it's a matter of, of, of the will. It's a matter of choosing to put that person before yourself. And so after this negotiation was complete, the couple was considered married, and they'd go through this year-long period called a betrothal, or an engagement period. Now, for us, engagement means we're going to get married. For them, they were already called husband and wife. They were seen as married. They didn't sleep together, they didn't live together, but they were seen legally as married. They each would live with their own parents for that year period, and they would kind of be testing their purity to see if they would remain faithful coming into the marriage. Now, If the bride was found to be with child, that would be a clear violation of the promise, right? She had broken her promise to her husband. She was unfaithful. And in that case, the marriage could actually be annulled. There could be a legal divorce. But if this one-year waiting period goes well, the husband could come, he could take his bride, and there would be this grand processional. They'd walk back to his house, and they'd, they'd, they'd physically consummate the marriage, and then there'd be like this week-long party to celebrate. So Mary and Joseph, they're in this year-long waiting period when this goes down. And, and, and they hadn't slept together, right? I mean, it says he knew her not. I mean, they, they, had not they had not slept together. But it's, and it's not said here in the text. And we don't know if Mary told him before the dream or, or how this was communicated to him. But all that Joseph knows, or at least what Joseph knows, is that Mary is pregnant and it's not his baby. And you imagine the kind of heartbreak that that would cause Joseph. The, the 
the personal hurt that he'd be experiencing knowing that Mary had been unfaithful to him, thinking Mary had been with another man. But then in verse 19, we see what he does. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now what we see here, Joseph's going to show us something pretty incredible, pretty extraordinary. He's going to show how much he loves Mary and how much he trusts his God. See, legally, Joseph had a couple of options. And one of his options is he could have made this public. He could have brought this out to the gates of, of the town, and he could have let everybody know what Mary had done. And according to Old Testament law, look at what it says in Deuteronomy 22. But suppose the man's accusations are true, and he can show that she was not a virgin. He has proof. She has a baby in her. The woman must be taken to the door of her father's home, and there the men of the town must stone her to death. For she has committed a disgraceful crime in Israel by being promiscuous while living in her parents' home. Joseph had legal rights to have Mary killed by stoning. And there was another clause in the law where it said you wouldn't necessarily have to stone her, but he could have taken her to a public trial and shamed her in front of everybody. Basically the scarlet letter, a big A written across her chest. And then the rest of her life, no, everybody, the public, she would have been socially shunned, socially shamed. At best, she would have been able to live in her parents' home with her child for basically the rest of her existence. But there was another way that Joseph could go. And this is pretty incredible. In Deuteronomy 24, it also says, legally, he could write a document of divorce, hand it to her, and send, it away, send her away from his house. And this is what Matthew 1 says that he did. He says he, he, wanted, he was going to divorce her quietly so as not to shame her. Can you imagine, in the midst of that personal pain and that heartache, to make a decision out of the interest of the one who you feel, thought had broken your heart. Man, that I could show people that kind of love. That I could put people before myself in that manner. Perhaps this is a clue as to why God chose Joseph to be the earthly father of Jesus. So then we move on and we see Joseph's dream. Look at, look at verse 20. Now again, there's always this but. Whenever we're going through the stories, there's always a but. There's always a plot twist. So what's coming? Verse 20, but as he considered these things. Notice here, Joseph's not rushing into a decision. He, he, he is thinking about this thing. He, he is thinking about it deeply. Probably many sleepless nights that Joseph ponders the ramifications of this decision. He's thinking about what this divorce will do to him, will do to Mary, will do to their baby, or going to do to their families. Right? There's, a, there's a huge ripple effect here. There's a lot in his mind. And in the midst of considering these things, Matthew says that an angel comes. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Why would he fear? We just looked at all of the legal possibilities, all the social ramifications. They could both be ostracized, both be shunned from their communities. Just don't fear to take her as your wife. Why? Why shouldn't he fear? For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It was Joseph. Mary hasn't been unfaithful. Mary has not been sexually active. This child was placed in her by God himself. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to look and see why this truth, why Jesus being born of God and not of man is so central to our gospel, to Jesus being the legitimate savior of the world. 
But from now we go on and we say, it's verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. It was a common name at that time, Joshua or Yeshua. What it meant was saving those from their sins. And this was really significant because if Joseph is to name the baby, what that, in, in their culture, according to their customs, what that meant is that acknowledged that Joseph was the legal father of the baby according to Jewish law. Now we know that the Holy Spirit begot Jesus, that, that he's the son of God, and yet legally he's the son of Joseph from the line of David. And as we go through our story, as we pick it back up in January, we're going to see that that promised deliverer is coming through the line of David. And Joseph's in that line. But it's interesting because scripture is very careful to never actually name Joseph the father of Jesus. You look at a couple of references, a couple of verses earlier here in Matthew chapter 1. We're walking through the genealogy, that boring part where you're trying to pronounce, pronunciate, pronunciate the names. And it's going, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of the father of the father of the father of. Then you get to verse 16 and notice what it says. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. It does not say Joseph, the father of Jesus. Because Jesus had one father. That was God. Same thing next chapter. Rise, the angel tells Joseph. Take the child and his mother. Flee to Egypt. Not take your son. Take the child and his mother to Egypt. And I'm sure this is a complicated situation for Joseph. There's got to be a joy, an inexpressible joy, of being given the privilege of being the, the earthly steward of the Son of God. And yet it's complicated, isn't it? This is not his own flesh and blood. This is a situation, I mean, I think of so many people I know that have, have stepped into marriage relationships as, as a stepfather or a stepmother who have looked into adoption. And man, there's a, there's a lot of sensitive, sensitive uh, dynamics there, is there not? But, but what a reminder for Joseph and for us that Everything that we have, everything that we own, does not belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. And whether adopted, whether biological, whether something we own, all of these things have been given to us by God to love and to take care of unto his glory. So, as if the situation wasn't already crazy enough, as if it wasn't already hard enough, the angel tells Joseph that Mary has been impregnated by God, and God is going to be their child. He's going to be the savior of all of mankind. This one that has been prophesied for hundreds of years, get this man a Xanax, right? This guy is going to, his head has got to be spinning like a top at this point. So many things that he'd already been considering, and now they throw this monkey wrench into the whole business? I mean, what would you do in that situation? An angel comes in some dream and tells you, don't worry, your pregnant wife, that wasn't the dude next door, that was God himself. How would you respond? Would you believe? Would you walk in obedience to that? Let's see what Joseph did. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had been given birth to a son. Had given birth to a son. He called his name Jesus. What does Joseph do? He obeys. Two specific things the angel told him to do that he immediately does. He takes Mary as his wife, and he names the child Jesus. Now also notice, it says he doesn't sleep with Mary until Jesus is born. 
to show that kind of constraint, that kind of self-control, to avoid any rumors. They did not sleep together. This child did not come from me. This came from the Holy Spirit. And you think about what would come out of this, the misunderstanding in the community, all the gossip that's going to be going along. Yeah, Mary, I heard she got knocked up before they got married, right? Oh, no, 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 I heard it was the Holy Spirit. Yeah, whatever. Who's going to buy that? So they have this stigma that's going to follow them. It's going to make it difficult for Joseph to get work, for them to have friends. I mean, the, the ramifications on their life is massive. But Joseph, he knew the true story of Mary's pregnancy. And he knew what God wanted him to do. So he obeyed. Even though it was scary. Even though they're be haters. And as a husband, Joseph did what he had to do for his family. What God told him to do. And what was it, and this is so important, what was it that fueled Joseph's obedience? Why did he obey God? It was because he believed God. It was his faith. What have we been walking through in our story? By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Noah built an ark, even though there was never, had never been rain at that point. And we see these, these men and women in, in, in the Bible doing these crazy acts of obedience. Why? Because they believed their God, who he said he was, and who, what he said he was going to do. And Joseph knew. Joseph was a man who knew his Bible. He knew his prophecy. And one of the things it says right after the angel talked to him is it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God was going to take human flesh, come to this world. And Joseph knew the prophecies, and he believed the prophecies that there was a deliverer coming to make our wrongs right, to bring us back to God. And because he believed in those promises, he obeyed. See, when we see God rightly, when we believe God and what he said to us, it shows in the way we live. It shows in our obedience. So we asked at the beginning, why did God choose Joseph? Who, who, who was it that he picked to be his one and only son? He did not choose the CEO of a giant corporation to put Jesus in this power position, to have influence in the business world. He did not choose a king. He did not choose him to come through politics so he'd have that kind of sway. He did not choose someone who was rich so that he could come in with power and material and knock the people's socks off. He did not pick the best looking. Okay, that was not his prerogative. It wasn't there yet, all right? He chose a broke teenage carpenter from the sticks who had one credential, but it was the only credential that mattered. He knew his God, and he believed him. Which meant that he would obey God, which meant that he would be a fatherly example to Jesus. Can you imagine being the parent of Jesus? Wouldn't that be annoying at times? Trying to correct Jesus? Uh, no, actually, I know every... I mean, that would just that would drive you crazy, right? Kind of like what my mom had to deal with, right? Why did God choose Joseph? I think 1 Corinthians gives us the answer. God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. 
God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Why did God choose a nobody? He wanted to make no mistake where the power came from, where the glory belongs. And it wasn't Joseph. This is not a story about how great Joseph is. This is a story about a man who believed how great God is and was used by him and obeyed him. So application. What, what, what is this for us? What does this do for us? Am I willing? Are we willing? Are you willing to obey God even when it's hard? Even when it's scary, even when there are haters. And and ultimately, this comes down to the issue is not, am I willing to obey God? It's a deeper issue, one step deeper. It's, do I trust God? Do I believe his promises? I was reading through the Psalms. I think this was in our our reading. Um, You saw some of the questions Rana was asking in the car car ride. Um, that's from our own at 365. We've been walking through the story of the Bible together. There's actually some blue books in the back, or you can go to our website, peninsulagrace.org, and, and jump in with us. We've just been, kind of been reading the story of the Bible together. Um, free plug there. Uh, as we've been reading in, in the Psalms, I was reading in the Psalms, and I, saw, I came across this story. You remember when Israel was about to step into the promised land? Okay, you remember that story? Look at what it says in Psalm 106. The people refused to enter the pleasant land. Why? For they wouldn't believe his promise to care for them. Now watch carefully. Verse 25. Instead, they grumbled in their tents and refused to obey the Lord. So why didn't they enter the land? Why did they disobey? Because they disbelieved. Because they didn't believe. They saw the giants. They they saw the daunting task ahead of them. They looked through human lens and said, we can't do it. But what did that ultimately say? God's a liar. God has made a promise to Israel. I'm going to drive out your enemies for you. I'm going to give you this land of milk and honey. But they choose to reject God's promise to them. And because they don't believe God, they don't obey God. But Joseph and, or, uh, Joshua and Caleb, the only two that believed God, were the only two that said, we can do it. Let's enter into the land. I remember when I was, last year, when I was considering taking this role as pastor at the church, Man, I heard no audible voice saying, Justin, be pastor. Except for Larry, I guess he was saying that. <laughs> but there was definitely a time when I felt convicted to move that direction, where God gave me a passion, and I believe for me, it became an obedience issue. And it was scary. And what if I fail? What if I step in and the whole church just shuts down? Everyone just leaves, right? I'm a failure? What if there's haters? What if there are people out there going, he is too young. He is single. He has no experience, okay? Some of you guys are like, that's a great point. Why didn't we, what do we? (laughs) But here's what it came down to. Would I trust him? Would I trust my God who said, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I'm never going to ask something for you that I will also by my grace do through you. So I had a choice. I could hang out in my tent and complain and cry and whine and disobey, or I could take a step of faith into the promised land, trusting my God. If we trust him, we'll obey him. And it comes down to this. Do we believe Jesus? Do we believe what God has said about Jesus, that he's enough, that he is sufficient, that he's our life? 
So when when the Holy Scripture says, take up your cross and follow me, lose your life for me, surrender it all, push all your chips into the middle, that obedience of surrendering our lives unto him stems from believing his promise that my son is enough for you. Being a godly dad like Joseph or a godly mom, a godly son or daughter, a godly friend, it comes down to one thing. Do I believe God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do? And if I believe that, then that faith will fuel my obedience and by his grace and by his power, I will obey him. God, I just want to be the first to confess that each day it's a struggle, that my flesh does not want to believe you, that I want to put my trust in other things, myself, things that I can see and touch and feel, and I don't believe that you're good. I don't believe that you're enough. I don't believe that you saved me. I don't believe that you're sufficient. Father, I pray today you would give us the grace to trust you more, that in community we would be pointing each other to your word, to your truth, to your promises, that we would be preaching the gospel, that we are sinners, that he is Savior, and that we desperately need him. We need to preach that message to each other every day, God. I pray that we would be a community that believes that Jesus is enough, that God came down to this world as a baby, grew up to be a man, and died on that cross in my place so that I could stand fully accepted before you. And God, if we're a people that believe that, there's nothing that will hold us back from fully obeying, fully surrendering our lives to you and going into that promised land because you're there with us and you offer rest. It's in your son's beautiful name that we pray. Amen.